0: Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you'll be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Like Jim said, are you happy to be here? I guess I had to be today, but... In case you haven't noticed, people ask a lot of questions. What's for dinner? What should I wear? Do I look good in this? What's wrong? How can I help? Bigger questions like, should I take this new job? Can I afford this new house? Should I ask him or her to marry me? Who should I vote for? Or even bigger yet, what's my purpose in life? Questions are good. I mean, we're always wanting to know a little bit more in an effort to make an informed decision or at least what we should do or not do. We sometimes just want someone to tell us what we want to hear so we think we made a good good decision. Other times, people want to know their future. How can they improve their position in life? Trying to find a reliable way to predict the future has been around since the beginning of time. Humans have always been fascinated by the what-if, that what-if factor that determines the time to come. Countless techniques and instruments were invented to divine the future. But sometimes it came to a point where the only people who were said to predict the future on a regular basis were considered to be special. Those special people occasionally were trained professionals, as in the case of shamans and priests of particular religious sects or cults. They'd been taught to see the future by wise elders and people in high positions. Sometimes these people with visions of the future were just born with that ability, as though they were inher- in, they were inherited with this special gift, or even some kind of a mutation. Maybe even demon possessed. Either way, these people had a tendency to start out or stand out in the uh, general public and were constantly sought after by rich rulers and even uh, poverty-stricken. But the story behind this is that someone is always looking to profit from this. And the issue is that we really need to see who's behind it and where we really need to turn and what God wants us to see. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you again for this opportunity and thank you so much for the word as it means to everybody here and those outside who need to hear it, Lord. The things that you've offered us are in the, uh, the, the words that we read and we see, the words that we hear by those who you put into the position to, uh, to present your word in the gospel. Lord, we thank you so much for, again, the vision that you provided through, the, through your word and through your life uh, of the Son of, of, of the Most High, Lord, and we thank you, uh, again, for what he did for us and he continues to do for us in our lives, and we pray this always in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna be looking at Acts sixteen, verses sixteen through forty. It's a little long, so as you notice in your in your notes, I have a lot for you to write down. So here in Acts sixteen, Paul and his mission team were trying to find out where the Lord wanted them to go. Next. Then in verse nine and ten, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come, come over to Macedonia. And help us. Now, after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they went to Philippi and began to share the gospel. And the people were responding to the good news about Jesus Christ. But starting in verse 16, they ran into some serious opposition. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination divination, (laughs) met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. You see, God wants us to see evil, see that evil will try to deceive us. No sooner are lost people saved saved than Satan began to hinder the work this woman was a fortune teller by trade and she was very persuasive because she was possessed by an evil spirit verse 17 tells us that as she followed Paul's team she cried out these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation what comes to mind when you think of uh, someone who's trying to tell your future. Some person in the back room with all these dark lit things and a crystal ball right in front of them. Well, they come in all shapes and sizes. And of course, in this case, just a normal woman that had persuasive powers. Hmm. Of course, what she said was true. But the Lord doesn't need any help from the devil. And partnership with the devil, with evil, is the last thing God wants for His church, because it makes evil seem good. Partnership with evil disguises, with evil disguises it, and it makes it seem innocent, much like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus warns, warned us about this in Matthew seven fifteen. It says, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing." but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You see, partnership with evil also puts a strain on the cause of Christ. That's why in verse 18, where are we at now? (laughs) Paul cast out that evil spirit. He says, And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. See, Paul didn't want either the gospel or the name of God to be promoted by one of Satan's slaves. So he cast out that demon. After all, Satan may speak the truth at one moment and deceive us the next. The The girl's owners had no real concern for her they were only interested in the income she provided. And now that income was gone. <laughs> see, God wants us to see when others try to take advantage of us, but also be aware when people try to deceive others around you. They try to hinder God's work. And this little message is for the younger people, or at least those who rely on the Internet. Be careful of what you see and what you read on it. Think about what you are looking at and what you're reading. So, with this background in mind, as we read verses 19 through 40, think about some of the things God wants us to see. Many people don't have to start off wearing glasses, right? Until they're about 40 ish, some. I I read somewhere an eye doctor said if people's arms were long enough it would put me out of business. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, I was born with great eyesight. I could see far and I can see very small print. I prided myself on that. People would ask me, you can read that? I remember writing home one day with my first pair of glasses. (laughs) I was heartbroken. I was now officially old. (laughs) But I could read small print again. I could see again. It's a wonderful thing to see. But it's infinitely more important to have spiritual vision. To be able to see with eyes of faith. And in this story, in spite of the abuse and pain that Paul and Silas saw, some things that we need to see. They saw some crucial things that God wants us to see. You see, God wants us to see that suffering is part of our salvation. Suffering is part of our our salvation. There are some, I would call, warped people in the world who enjoy suffering. But any normal person would say, I don't want to suffer at all. I want everything to be good. That includes me. I really don't like suffering. I don't enjoy pain. But pain is part of our lives. Nobody in the right mind likes to suffer. But some things are worth suffering for. The athlete getting ready for a game is willing to go through some struggle and pain. As we prepare to celebrate Veterans Day, I think about the uh, soldier fighting for his brothers in arms, his cause for his country, and his willing to suffer for it. I also think about parents who suffer sleepless nights for sick kids or a child late coming home. There are many other examples, but none rise above the gospel of Jesus Christ suffering. Many of the greatest heroes of our faith have suffered incredible hardships for the good news about Jesus Christ. And and we see good examples, starting in verse nineteen. Yay, it works. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Have you ever seen the inside of a prison? There's a few pictures here for you. Nice little cafeteria there. So notice how clean and brightly lit they are. The prisons today could be considered a three-star motel by by the way they're laid out. And how the prisoners are treated. Three meals a day. Availability to anything and anything they want to read. Relative to the conditions of prisons in the early 1900s. The chain gain, remember that. <laughs> a little darker, a little less availability for movement. Prisons in other countries are far worse. Imagine what they would have been that like in Jesus' day. This is an actual Roman prison. And That is also an actual picture of a Roman uh, prison in Jesus' time. The farther we go back in history, the worse the conditions and accommodations. Languishing in prison really meant something. These are a picture of the actual stocks that they would have put their feet and hands in. Those pictures are actually fairly clean compared to what the time would have been when they were there. They clean them up for the tourism so they could see... Much like how when you go and visit the uh, prisons in uh, Germany, like Auschwitz and Dachau. They're kind of clean now. They weren't then. Many of God's best have suffered the worst for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are truly part of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are part of the body of Christ, somehow, somewhere, along the way, we're going to suffer we're going to suffer for jesus suffering for jesus really is part of our salvation god's words make makes this truth clear in many places luke 9 verses 22 to 24 jesus spoke to his disciples and said the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Philippians 1, verses 27-29 through Paul said to the Christians in Philippi, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever whenever, whenever I come and and see you, or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation." And that from God, for, you to, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12 Paul said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we believe in Christ, if we belong to Christ, somehow, some way, we are going to suffer for Christ. But we'll never suffer alone. Verse 25 in our scripture tells us that at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. God was there with them to put a song in their hearts. And he will put a song in ours too. Any fool can sing in the day, said Charles Spurgeon. It is easy to sing when we can and read the notes by daylight. But the skillful, skillful stager is he who can sing when there is no ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only by God. They are not of the power of men. Job 35.10 But no one says, Where is God my maker? Who gives song in the night. Psalm 42, 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God of my life. But the Lord wants us to see that suffering is part of our salvation. He also wants us to see that lost people are headed to hell. It's hard to take, isn't it? Paul and Silas saw this truth, and we can see this in verse twenty-six. Starting in verse twenty-six, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains loosened. You ever been in an earthquake? Yeah. <laughs> Did you stay put and just prayed? Or sitting there asking you a question, did anybody feel that? (laughs) Bless you. What about the people around you? How did they react? Was there panic? Everybody running around, trying to find a table to hide under or a door to go under? You know, it's funny. When I read this, I I was reminded of a song that my son William loves. He introduced this song to his family and when you hear the lyrics, it shows you how wonderfully God works to show you his love, no matter what you've been through. It's called Red Letters. Here's some of the words. There I was on death row, guilty in the first degree, son of God, hanging on a hill. Hell was my destiny. The crowd was shouting, crucify! Could have come from these lips of mine. The dirty shame was killing me, It would take a miracle to wash me clean. Then I read the red letters. And the ground began to shake. The prison walls started falling. And I became a free man that day. Felt like lightning hit my veins. My dead heart began to beat. Breath of God filled my lungs. And the Holy Ghost awakened me. Yeah the holy ghost awakened me when you have a young person finding an understanding in god like this in song the lyrics of the song what more can we learn and understand about in god's own words no matter if you are the prisoner or the jailer holding something or someone prisoner it's about forgiveness and redemption Verse twenty-seven says, "And the keeper of the prison awakened from the sleep, from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself." Remember, it was pitch black when this was happening. Nobody could see anything. How would you have felt if you were in charge of keeping prisoners that were thought of as this important? If you were in Paul's position, what would you have done? See, I ask a lot of questions. When Paul saw that in verse 28, he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now, I don't know if it was just panic or whatever, they just stayed there. But remember, they were listening to Paul and Silas. The jailer was about to do the worst thing he could do for himself and his family. But Paul wanted to tell him that the best things he could ever do for his family was about to come. So the jailer asked the most powerful question in our lives. Verse 29 says, He called out for a light. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? didn't give you chills? Wow. What must I do to be saved? How amazing is that? What would what reaction would you have to that question? In verse thirty-one, Paul and Silas replied, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved in your household. You and your household." See, Paul and Silas could see that these people were lost. They were headed to hell. But what about us? How well can we see? One of the biggest obstacles that keeps us from reaching our world is the false assumption that most of all the people that we know or care about are saved. Notice that Paul and Silas didn't tell the jailer, if you're a good dad or a husband or a good boss, if you're a nice guy, If you're honest and friendly, you'll be saved. Nah, they didn't say anything like that. Because no one is good enough to earn their way into heaven. There is only one way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. Receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. But sometimes we assume someone is saved just... Because they're nice and friendly or they're active in church. Here's a little story. I like to tell stories. There's a lady who played the organ at church. She had been in church for many years and that lady could really play the organ. She also had a beautiful voice. She could sing like a pro. The organist was very faithful to her church and she was a sweet lady. She and her husband were pillars in their community but in spite of all that the organist was not saved and she knew it one night during revival service she was playing the organ as normal during that invitation that's when the lord asked her asked her two very blunt questions are you going to ride this organ bench straight to hell and do you think that will get you into heaven The organist, mentally, she asked the Lord, Who will play? Who will play the organ? And he replied, I don't need anybody playing. So she got up off the bench and went over to the preacher and received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. That's why she's in heaven today. But we need to understand that there are people in our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, and our own families And of our own church. Who are not saved. God wants us to see that lost people are headed to hell. He also wants us to see that families need fathers. Who care. In verse 31. Paul and Silas said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you and your household. Somehow Paul and Silas knew. That this was a man who cared about his household. Maybe the Holy Spirit revealed to them directly. But the jailer lived right next to the prison. He was close enough to see that the doors were wide open. After the earthquake had jarred him awake, he jumped up and was about to kill himself. So in the middle of being beaten and chained, Paul and Silas noticed that The jailer had a family. And maybe they saw the jailer showed kindness and concern to his wife and one of his children. They may have even seen the jailer show kindness to someone else who worked for him. But in any event, Paul and Silas could see that this man cared for the people around him. And it mattered. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It would have been a thousand times harder for the jailer's family to be saved, let alone himself, if he didn't care. Paul and Silas saw the jailer cared for his family and dads, myself, <laughs> people should see that same, the same thing in us. We ought to love our families. Think of the stories in the news of the people who rob and, and hurt and do a lot of bad things to others. The stories of physical violence toward one another. How much of that could have been avoided if those people had dads who cared? I think most of it. But of course, we're not just talking about dads. All of us should care about the people who are close to us. Husbands ought to love their wives, wives ought to love their husbands, parents ought to love their children, and yes, children ought to love their parents. <laughs> One of the biggest regrets I hear a lot of people say and have read from some adults is the way that they treated their parents when they were foolish teenagers and young adults. If they could turn, back, turn the clock back, they would certainly treat their parents differently, maybe a little better. There was this grandfather in a hospital years ago when his granddaughter was having surgery. He was 88 years old. And he talked about his family. He told another man that his mom had died from cancer when he was only 14. They called for the children to come home from school to say goodbye to their mom. And when the old man thought back to the scene around her bed and all the family members tears welled up in his eyes and he got choked up even after 74 years had gone by why did he do that because of love and we ought to love our families that way that seems too obvious it seems too obvious to mention unfortunately it's not God wants us to see that families need fathers who care He also wants us to see that real life comes from the Lord. Notice the great transformation in verses 31 through 34. We're going to start again, 31. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them, and the same hour of the night... And washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Wow, <laughs> there is power in the gospel, right? Paul knew that too. That's why in Romans 116 he said. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel is the power of God for salvation because God himself became a man to die on the cross for us. That's how much he loves us. Then Jesus rose again from the dead. Now he has the power to save us from death everlasting death and Jesus will save everyone who receives him as Lord and Savior you see life comes from the Lord eternal abundant life comes from the Lord and we can see this new life in the jailer too when the jailer got saved he went from darkness to light from death to to real life, from beating man's back to binding their wounds, from having a home in hell to having a home in heaven, from total despair to total delight, from no hope to, full, to a full hope for his future and his family, he gained that hope. What a transformation! But we can also see God's math here. Yes, God invented math. Be fruitful and multiply, he said. (laughs) So we see multiplication here. Salvation started here with Paul and Silas. Then it went to the jailer. Then it spread to his family. And heaven only knows how far it went from there. See, this Christianity thing is contagious. There was multiplication going on, not only in these verses, and that's what the Lord wants us to see. He wants to see that through us. Verse 35 says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these, <laughs> reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart. Depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and all have thrown us, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid and when they had heard afraid when they had heard that they were romans they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city so when they went out of the prison and entered the house of lydia and when they had seen the brethren they encouraged them and departed you see god wants us to see his truth the officials knew they had no convincing case against Paul and Silas so they sent word to the jailer to release them Paul however was unwilling to sneak out of town for that kind of exit would have left the church the new church under a cloud of suspicion people would have asked questions like who are these men were they guilty of some crime? Why did they leave so quickly? Did they pay off the jailer? What did their followers believe? See, Paul and Silas went, wanted to leave behind a strong witness to their own integrity, as well as a good testimony for the young church. So we have to ask, why didn't Paul and Silas tell the jailers early on that they were Roman citizens? Maybe it wasn't time. Or maybe it was just Paul saving that get out of jail free card. He was to use it for later on. Nope. I think God's timing was best. His timing is always best. We just need to ask Him. He knows how best to give the answers, what His truth and when. It was then that Paul made use of his Roman citizen. Citizenship and boldly challenged the officials on the legality of their treatment. This was not a personal revenge to her, no, but a desire to give protection and respect for the church. While the record doesn't really say that Paul and Silas um, were uh, officially apologized to by the magistrates, it does state that the, they respectfully. Came to Paul and Silas and escorted them out of the prison and politely asked them to leave town. Paul and Silas remained in Philippi, though, long enough to visit the new brethren and believers and encourage them. That's what God wants us to see. We never know what's going to happen when we. See like the Lord wants us to see. One night over 200 years ago, preacher John Wesley was going home from a church service. On the way home, Wesley was robbed. And all he had with, was, with him was a little money and some Christian literature. But as the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out, Stop! I have something more to give you. The surprise robber turned back. And Wesley said, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us from sin. He cleansed all of our sin. The thief hurried away. And Wesley prayed that his words might bear fruit. Years later, Wesley was greeting people after a Sunday service. And when he was approached by a stranger, it was a thief, or rather, a former thief. What a surprise to learn that this visitor, who was now a believer in Christ and a successful businessman, was the same man who had robbed him many years before. I owe it all to you, said the transformed man. Oh no, my friend, Wesley exclaimed, not to me. The word of God shows us the precious blood of Christ is, that, is what cleanses us all from all sin. <clears throat> we never know what's going to happen. When we see the Lord, When we see like the Lord wants us to see, And today the word of God shows us some of the most important things, I think, that God wants us to see. That evil will try to deceive us. That suffering is part of salvation. The lost people are headed to hell. That families need fathers who care. That real life comes from the Lord. That's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see his truth, and that truth is only through the blood and the man of Jesus Christ. as we go into prayer, let's ask God to help us see today. Let's pray. Father Lord, thank you thank you so much for your word and thank you for all that it means, not just the words in a book for us to learn from like a like a lesson, Lord but your truth and the fact that you love us and that you died for us and that you gave yourself to us. Lord, thank you so much for caring so much like a father should, Lord. And we thank you so much for gathering those around so they can see and multiply in your word, Lord. And we ask for these many blessings and blessings to come that you grant us the time together to be able to share who you are. Thank you always in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.